welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. I am very excited about our guest today. I'm also excited to have Kellen Wellborn joining me. We are here at the Man Up to Cancer Global Headquarters, which is also known as my family room at the moment. So Kellen and I are appropriately distanced. Joe is way appropriately distanced. He's in North Carolina. Hey, how are you doing? We are doing great. So happy to have you here. So Joe Bullock is a country boy. He is born and raised in Durham, North Carolina. And he is a husband. He's a dad to two teens, one of whom is going off to college this fall. He's a pre-K teacher. And like me, Joe is a colon cancer survivor. Joe plays a huge role in Man Up to Cancer. He's the lead administrator of The Howling Place, which is our Facebook group for men impacted by cancer, all types of cancers, and men who are patients, survivors, caregivers, friends. He's just doing an amazing job with the group, and I am so thankful for you and for meeting you and for you coming on board and doing this mission with us. So thank you. The first question I want to ask you, Joe, is this. If I had told you when you were in treatment and you were at your lowest point, if I had told you that you were going to be leading a group for men uh, with cancer, making a difference in the lives of hundreds of men from around the world at your low point, you probably would have told me I was crazy, right? Yeah, I would not have even thought about doing it. I mean, I remember laying in bed a month or so after diagnosis listening to a podcast and kind of laying there in my crap, basically, for being in cancer, you know, not even thinking that I would ever be doing a podcast that dealt with cancer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and same thing for me. Like when I was at my lowest going through my treatment, the idea of even like having a phone conversation at that point was not even on my mind, let alone, you know, being able to do something that's helping people and also helping us. So take me back in time that cancer has been a theme, for lack of a better word. It's been a theme in your life going way back. Go through those those things. Like you had a testicular cancer scare at a young age. I did. I did in my 20s. I was 25 at the time. Um, and, and how old are you now? I'm 52. Okay. And a friend of ours, my wife and I, who was a doctor, um, suggested I get a physical. My, my fiance at the time was concerned. She was like, well, it's been a while since I had a physical. Here's a friend of ours. He said, look, why don't you come by my office? Let's do a physical. I had no health insurance at the time. And he was like, um, I'll give it to you as a wedding gift. So I went to his office, did the physical. We did the old hernia turn and cough check. And he noticed, you know, you only have one testicle. You don't hear that every day, right? Yeah, you don't hear that every day. And at the time, it was like, I was always kind of embarrassed about it. Sure. I didn't really like to talk about it. I was always told I was just born that way. It wasn't that big of a deal. And he got really quiet for a moment and said, no, this is this. And he was kind of a young doctor. He was probably in his early 30s. So, and he was kind of concerned about men's health. And he was like, you know, we need to investigate this a little more. Uh, I'm really thinking you have a a descended testicle. And that's the first time I heard anyone say the word cancer. I think you could have cancer and don't realize it. You could have been living with it for years and don't realize it. And of course, to tell a guy that 10 days before he gets married, 
you know, was just like, what do I do? Do, do, you know, do I tell my fiance? Do I postpone the wedding? Do we, you know, it was just really a lot was going through my mind that day. And of course he kind of calmed me down from hyperventilating that day. And, uh, he was like, no, no, go get married, go on your honeymoon. But the next day you need to be in my office. We need, we're going to go and schedule an MRI. We're going to schedule surgery. We're going to remove that undescended testicle and we're going to biopsy it. And, um, and ultimately, luckily there was no cancer found, no cancer had spread, but I went through about a month during my wedding and probably three or four weeks afterwards waiting for test results that if I had, was I going to be living with cancer? Right. And luckily, you know, it was all negative. But we have met friends in the group, Jason Greenspan, who was diagnosed at age 17 with stage four. Right. So it's a very real thing. It was like a week before his senior prom or something like that, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about your father ended up getting diagnosed with prostate cancer. Yes. We had built a home across the street from my parents, basically. And when we moved here, uh, once again, my wife was like, we're getting ready to have our first child. And she was like, you know, it's been a, a while since you've had, a, again, a physical. And um, so there's a theme with delayed physicals. Right. And it, which is not uncommon for men. Right. And uh, right. so, you know, so I ended up so happened to be that the doctor I got was actually the same general practitioner that was my mom and dad's. And so I walk in his office and he goes, you're Don Bullock's son. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, did you know your dad is showing early signs of prostate cancer? My dad had never told me this. Um, and I don't know that the, the doctor should have said that. He just sort of laid it right out. So what, yeah, what did you do with that information? Well, ultimately he said, you know, I, you're 35 and, you know, honestly, you could walk out of here and not really think about it. You're still young. But he was like, you know, I think you need to get your PSA checked. I think we need to do the whole finger check. I think we need to, you need to think about it and do it now. I think you need to do it in five more years when you're 40. And then another five years. And then after 45, I think you need to have regular checkups. Because ultimately, my dad decided not to treat his prostate cancer over the years. He sort of let it, let it be. He didn't want to discuss it. He, it was sort of a spot of turmoil for us. He didn't like me to bring it up. It's very common for a generation of men, also men in general, specifically with prostate cancer, because actually PSA numbers, Mm -hmm. they fluctuate so greatly depending on each man. And so many men as they age, their PSA numbers go very high. And so, you know, prostate cancer is very common. And one of those things that you find more and more men living with. Was he like a traditional man of his generation in that? If there's any health issues or health problems, it was just not talked about. Yeah, it wasn't talked about. He never, I don't know that, I don't know that he ever went to see a doctor until he really had to, mm-hmm. honestly. And he ended up passing from his prostate cancer. When was that? It was a year before I was diagnosed. So ultimately, for the last year, I was one of his caregivers, which was really rough because we had a, did not have a great relationship. And I had to kind of put, a lot of things aside to be there for him during that time. Did you grow up in North Carolina? Because that is where you currently are, correct? Yes, I grew up in North Carolina, yes. And so your family is generationally from that area, it sounds like? Yes, they are. My husband um, and my in-laws are generationally in South Carolina. And one of the things that I find interesting with what you're discussing is the sharing of health information within a family. Uh, I recognize that story very you know, familiar to what his family and how they deal with health issues. It seems there is not just always 
a man-to-man communication breakdown that happens, but it seems like the Southern culture lends itself more towards like, it's nobody else's business. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I've, I've found out more about cancer in my family after I was diagnosed with cancer. A lot of people started coming out saying, oh yeah, you know, we do have a history of colon cancer in our family. We test high for that. And I was like, Nobody told me that. So you've been grappling with uh, your dad being sick, the, then the loss of your dad being a caregiver, and that mm-hmm. you know that relationship, that was a, a tough time for you. And then within, and then a year later, you hear the words yourself: "You have colon cancer." I did. In between that, my mom died. Also, mm. in fact, I kind of ignored my symptoms to help my mom. My cancer was starting to show even then, even putting off my colonoscopy for about six months because of it. Tell us a little bit about, you know, diagnosis and then what you endured after that for treatment. So basically after my dad died, uh, probably about a month after he passed away, I started noticing some blood in my stool a lot. Like I thought, did I eat strawberries that week? You know, it was just sort of that kind of thing. Yeah. And then um, started having, every once in a while, I'll have a little bit of abdominal cramping, but not enough so much that it sent me to the ER. I would just take a gas X or something and not really think about it. So I was doing better about getting my physicals. I started kind of going on my birthday is what I started doing. And um, when I went to the doctor on my 50th birthday, I started telling him about some of my symptoms and he was like, well, you're 50 and, you know, it's time to get a colonoscopy. Because at that point, the age hadn't been lowered. This was back in 2018. And so we scheduled my colonoscopy about a month later, by the time I could get one. But it was my mom basically passed away three days before my scheduled colonoscopy. So <sighs> I called and canceled the colonoscopy. Wow. Um, went to get her through, help my sister and make plans, arrangements, and then kind of still ignore the symptoms. I, I thought they were just stress. I, I used Dr. Google a lot, which is common. And, and a lot of it was, was coming back was hemorrhoids and stress. So I thought, well, maybe it's just the stress of dad's death and then dealing with mom's death and dealing with the arrangements and family issues that were going on. So I still continue to put it off. I would every once in a while have the same symptoms. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until probably February of March that the blood got worse. And I noticed that, you know, there was actually blood in the toilet. And I thought, okay, I, I've got to deal with this. And so I called my doctor again. We rescheduled the colonoscopy. I didn't actually, I still put it off again because I just felt like there wasn't a right time to do it. And I actually didn't have the colonoscopy till uh, I'm, I'm a pre-K teacher. So I decided, well, I'm going to wait until I'm done with the, the year, which was mid-May. And once again, putting it off. And had the colonoscopy. And that day when I got there, um, the prep, of course, is awful with colonoscopy. It's worse than the colonoscopy itself. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. That's like one of my <laughs> best like, days of the year. <laughs> it's just like you need to take yeah, a full vacation. That's, yeah, that's 12 hours in the bathroom is fun. <laughs> really? Yeah, so I always say it's a different type of Netflix and chill. It really is. Um, <laughs> with the old iPad in the bathroom. So when I, the day of the colonoscopy, when I was laying there, I Googled enough to kind of know what I was looking for. And they give you that twilight medicine when you do it before they scope you. So I laid there and he put the scope in. I actually drifted off asleep. I woke up, looked at the, looked up at the monitor, and I saw this meatball hanging off the side of my colon. Oof. And I look up, and I, I'm starting to hyperventilate, and I'm like, is that what I think it is? And the doctor goes, you're okay. We're going to mark it. We're going to tag it. I got around it. We got up to your colon. Everything is good. You've got two other polyps we're going to remove. 
we're going to biopsy it, and then we're going to talk. But he, his words to me were, you know, I tear up thinking about this. But um, his, uh, his words to me were, you know, we've got this. You know, we've got it. And so, <clears throat> sorry. No, don't apologize at all, man. Um, that we've got this. And so when he said that to me, and I, I wish all oncologists would just ultimately say that to their patients, that we've got you or we've got this. And that's what he wanted me to, he wanted me to feel that at the moment, you know. And we didn't even talk about stages yet. We left that day knowing that it was probably stage three because of the location of the tumor and how DP pretty much thought it had gone into the muscle, into the wall of the colon. So he was pretty certain that there were lymph nodes impacted. But we didn't know that was the, what we were hoping for with stage three. We weren't as sure of anything. We both have gone through colorectal cancer. There's a lot of us who were diagnosed at colonoscopy. But very few of us who were diagnosed like you were, where you're actually seeing it and like talking to the doctor right as it happens. I mean, that's pretty amazing. And then I just can't help but think about you coping with the loss of both of your parents right around that time. And then you and your wife raising a a young family, two teenagers. Um, It's overwhelming. Yeah, it was it was a lot to take in at the time. I didn't realize till probably a couple of months in how depressed I got. I mean, it, it probably took about, because I was pretty robotic. My wife is an RN at the same hospital where my cancer center is located at. So from that next day, she had already figured out who my oncologist was, who the surgeon was going to be. It was pretty much like showing up for my wedding. I was just told where to stand, where to move, where to walk. Being a caregiver, you know, I I don't have someone in my life with cancer, but I do have a, my husband has a chronic illness. Right. And so the way to cope, to not fall apart in the moment is to plan, mm-hmm. Yeah, I find. And so it doesn't surprise me that while you were getting your head around and dealing with the emotions of the diagnosis to yourself, that your wife was taking every step and moving forward because it was how she was coping. Right. You know, making sure that she could just feel like she was getting a handle on the things that she could get a handle on because everything else is ultimately out of your control. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Being a nurse, she was very much in that clinical headspace when it came to my cancer. Right. She pretty much had to, when we got to the therapist part, when we finally got to a a cancer therapist at our cancer center, she was pretty much like, please take him away. (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> you know, he, he, he needs to just spend hours with you talking because yeah. it was just, it was too much for her. What was the phases that you went through in terms of surgery, then chemo or chemo surgery? I forget. Ultimately, the tumor was, it was 10 centimeters. It was in the sigmoid, sigmoid region of my colon. Yeah, well done. That's a nice sized tumor, Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was high enough above my rectum that I didn't require a bag or anything and they could go in. The surgeon was pretty you know, confident he could get everything. He removed the, the tumor, resected my colon, and removed um, 40 lymph nodes. Wow. Uh, three tested positive for cancer. It was about a seven-hour surgery, because originally it was supposed to be a three- or four-hour surgery, and they came out and told my wife that he was going to spend extra time checking my other organs just to make sure everything was clear. So real briefly, let me jump in. I will share with you that I had a nine centimeter primary tumor in my colon. I had that removed. I think I had 23 lymph nodes mm-hmm. and one had <laughs> was positive for cancer, wow. which um, turned out was enough because I ended up metastatic. But mm-hmm. 
your tumor's a little bit larger than mine. Not that we're Not comparing. That we would never compare that kind of thing here. Is, yeah, this, is like, this like where no. women talk about the size yeah. baby they birthed? Yes. <laughs> yes. How many pounds, right? Yeah. yeah, he was saying mine was more oval or something. It was this odd. is a yeah, weird was... pissing contest, guys. Yeah, I know. They, like that, but that I don't need around, my I don't so need my weird. surgeon to like weigh in on like size and shape. Like as long as it's out of me, like I don't care. Um, all right. So so you had the primary removed, and then you had uh, full fox, which is a type of chemotherapy. No, what full fox? It was um, oxyplatin, and it was that cap oxyplatin and Zenola. Okay, Zolota. You had the pills, and oxaliplatin is the is the IV drug. Okay, got it. Yes. Yes. Um, and so that was essentially to make sure that they tried to get everything and that you didn't spread. Right. It was, you know, they, they called it cleanup chemo is what my, is the way my oncologist and, and surgeon described it. Yep. And there was even a struggle with that because from what I was being told, he even said, you know, I think I got 99.9% of your cancer. And I looked at my wife and said, well, then why do I need to do chemo? Right. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, no, we're, we're killing this. Yeah. You know, and that's what they were all, we're going to kill this. That's why you need to do chemo. Right. And with the three lymph nodes, you're in that gray area of like, yeah, especially at the time too, of do you treat with mop up chemo, clean up chemo, or do you not? And then, so, so you have been Ned, which mm-hmm. in the cancer, cancer land is no evidence of disease. Right. The Holy grail for cancer patients. You have been uh, living in Nedville for how long now? Um, About 14 months. Awesome. Is there a point that they consider you in remission? And how far from being Ned is that? Um, five years, I think. Is that right, Trevor? I think it's five years is the best. Yeah. So remission. So Ned is the term that has kind of taken over for remission in some corners of Cancerland. Yeah. So when we say Ned, that basically means remission. They're getting away from using remission because that tends to imply that something is coming back. Like right. I'm in remission, right? You know, but no evidence of disease is kind of a more positive term that people have really right. grabbed onto. So five years is still the for most people with colorectal cancer. Five years of no evidence of disease is basically people start using the other C word at that point, which is cure. Right. Right. Yeah. Because I know that it does seem like there are these benchmarks, right? That you kind of look to achieve to maybe at some point have one thing that you feel like you can breathe slightly easier not never totally easy because obviously right. you know there's never but the likelihood after five years right. statistically goes way down and and it goes down over that period of time but. exactly that is one of those things that i notice anytime people are diagnosed with cancer or any type of illness that is either potentially terminal or chronic mm-hmm. we love those numbers you know, those statistics that we can look at, they either hurt us or hinder us, really, in the sense of mm-hmm. mental health. Right. Yeah, exactly. So let's dive into identity a little bit. I know for me, my identity has always been wrapped up in, you know, my roles, being a dad, being a husband, being a contributor to the family. Not, I don't think of myself as a sole provider because my, my wife and I both work, but, you know, a co-pilot of the household and very active and engaged in my roles. Now, when cancer came along and hit me, a lot of those roles and my identity really got kind of shaken. I felt like I was um, on unstable ground. How do you think about identity and the ways in which cancer might have rocked your boat a little bit in those ways? Well, ultimately, because I'm a pre-K teacher. So to go from being kind of the happy, jolly, enjoyable teacher, I became a very sad, very broken because of the cancer, because of what the chemo does to your body. 
And that was very odd for a lot of people, um, especially I, I continued to work. I continued to be a teacher during chemo. And a lot of the parents started noticing. They were great, though. They were supportive. But a lot of the words I got back was, Mr. Joe seems really sad right now. So I had to really go through all that whole process of explaining that identity to them, why um, I was going through that, mm. which was which was tough. Oh, it, it made things even harder. I think it caused me to nosedive even more. Then it sounds like you were dealing with the guilt of not being the person who you had been. Right, exactly, exactly. I mean, granted, I have, I, I teach uh, at my preschool. I'm the only male teacher, and I have like 10 other staff members who are just uh, angels on earth. I mean, they took care of me. They um, yeah, they were very supportive of my journey. That age child specifically is really good at pointing out things that adults filter from your consciousness and kids just let you know exactly what they're seeing. Yes. And they don't understand why anybody would ever maybe not say something. Mm-hmm. And they're four and five year olds. So they're very, you know, they're, right. they're just starting to awaken to their own personality. So yeah, they, yes, definitely. So I've gotten to know you uh, really since January and you are to me full of energy, full of life. You have a lot of joy. You express a full range of emotions from feeling really down to feeling really up like you Mm -hmm. and you're empowered now. So the idea of you being in that space, like sad and depressed, kind of like, I imagine you think of me, like imagine me being disabled by anxiety and depression. That's hard for me to imagine, but that's where you were. I mean, like you said, you used the word broken. I use that for my journey too, but you, you got to that point where you just weren't yourself. Right. And ultimately uh, I did just spend time with a therapist and started going to a local support group. Ultimate thing with the hardest thing about going to a local support group is it was next to the hospice center where my dad died. So the first group I went to, I, I was just like, uh, broken and just a, in a puddle of tears just because I was looking straight across at the doors to the hospice center. So that, that ultimately made it, made it even, even worse. And I ultimately avoided going. And it wasn't for a, another friend in Colon Town who uh, was a group that Trevor and I are in. Right. Um, Aaron Duffy Wood had sent me a private message saying, you know, are you going to go to um, the group tonight? Are you coming to support group? And so I thought, man, because someone knew me, I, I thought, well, I better go. I better show up kind of thing. Kellen <laughs> <You know? laughs> was holding me accountable of this from another Facebook group. I better show up. You were strong enough and brave enough and comfortable enough to say, I'm struggling. I, I'm down. I'm depressed. I need to do something. You started going to the group. When you started reaching out online, I kind of, so I think of Joe right now as like the cancer whisperer. So I call it cancer land. Cancer land to me is this online space of like tons of groups that are all kind of cross pollinating. And you start knowing all the people out there who like have cancer and are talking about it. So Joe's the cancer whisperer because he is friends with everyone in cancer land. And like he's out there. When did you start going online and making those connections? I think it was in August of 2018, I started out um, in Colon Town, and I remember there not being a whole lot of men in Colon Town, and um, I think I only had about 80 friends on Facebook at the time, and all of a sudden, I started getting these Facebook requests. A lot of them were women that were in Colon Town who were just trying to be supportive. <laughs> that was a good asterisk on that. It, 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 a it, lot it, of them were women. Cancer patients. Okay. Right. But I remember I got one from a gentleman named Charles Griffin Jr. And he had sent me a personal message and just, just of support. Mm-hmm. 
we didn't talk very much, but it was enough that he just wanted to say, hey, you got this. I'm going to support you. You know, he did himself have stage four colon cancer. He passed away last year. Yeah. Great man, Charles Griffin. What a great man. Great man, football player. Um, just had some really great talks. And one of the talks he did was called the glow stick talk. And ultimately, what he was saying is just be there for people, be supportive of people. And I think that ultimately, when I thought about those words and what he said, um, just rang in my ears over the, the next couple of months. And was yeah, ultimately, that gives me goosebumps every yeah, time I think of that. Yeah. Talk. And it made me think. So as, as I continued on my journey and in Colon Town and in uh, another group, Blue Hope Nation, to Colon Cancer Alliance, I, as I saw these men in these groups, I just started friend requesting them. I mean, it sounds like what you were noticing is now a big reason that Trevor has started Man Up to Cancer, which is in these communities that are colon cancer specific, which, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't colon cancer predominantly a male, uh, like, there are more men diagnosed with colon cancer, correct? Education moment here. Oh, it is yeah. not an old man's no, disease. No, in fact, actually, it's, it's, it's very not. close to 50%. I do think that the stigma is out there that yeah. because of the community that seems to be marketed towards for checking, and I'm wondering mm. if it's because also women are a little bit more proactive about their health care in general. So maybe, you know, the marketing out there has skewed our vision. of Yeah, so the, the women in colon town and the women in the other colon cancer uh, groups are sorely underserved and underappreciated compared to the folks in the pink cancer, which, I mean, we love those people as well and those advocates, but it's very close to 50% actually. So there's 150,000, roughly 150,000 new cases each year for colorectal cancer. And I think it's like 53% men, 47% women. But I noticed the same thing as Joe did is that the people, even though it's 50-50, the people actually accessing these groups, engaging, going online, seeking help, it's probably 75-80% women, which, and so Joe and I both noticed this glaring thing where you're engaging with women patients and then women caregivers who are out there taking care of their guys, and you're kind of just like, where are all the guys at? And then you start realizing that guys just tend to isolate, which is the whole, as you mentioned, the whole purpose of the movement here. Joe, let me let me skip on to the next question. So you you are very open about your feelings, uh, your mental health struggles with cancer. Have you personally always been okay sort of sharing that emotional side, or is that something that evolved over time with you? That's something that's evolved over time. I think being kind of forced into therapy um, with cancer and also I think going to support group kind of helped open me up in a lot of ways. Do you feel that now having gone through this journey and kind of exploring your mental health and towards cancer, but also, you know, obviously in general, you know, this is a question for both of you. Do you feel like you wish that this would have been something you would have been able to come to terms with previous to cancer so that you had those tools kind of ready? Or do you think that it's such a different need dealing with cancer that it would have not mattered? you know, going into this. I, it's funny. I think I wish the day I had gotten diagnosed, they just went and said, and while you're here, let's just have you stop by the therapist office. You know, <laughs> you know it's like, while you're here, let's I agree. Just have you go see the therapist. Yeah, I agree. It, it's not, I don't think it's talked about enough. Well, at least in 2018, when I was diagnosed, I didn't even know there was a such thing as a cancer therapist. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know that existed. Yeah. I mean, and, and one thing about the group is to encourage guys to find the, find the help that works for them. Some people like me and Joe are really comfortable going to a therapist and talking it out. There's other tools in the toolbox besides that. Hey, my chemo brain kicked in and I remembered what I was going to say. So guys, besides the, they do isolate to begin with. 
But secondly, once they decide to not isolate, they go online and they're not necessarily comfortable sharing and putting themselves out there in a space that is 80% female, especially like who wants to go into a group like that and be like, I think it can be emasculating for some men to make those kind of admissions and do that kind of sharing in a space where it's, there's so many women that can feel uncomfortable <laughs> just in general. And then there's also, we have some discussions in our Facebook group about our parts and our side effects and things like that, that just aren't going to happen in a place like Blue Hope Nation. Yeah, I do think that also even the side effects that you guys go through with your treatment that can be specific to male anatomy and things that you guys deal with. I also think that the nature of colorectal cancer is also one that you're not you're not pancreatic cancer, right? right. Like you're not a with all these cancers are bad. I'm yes. not trying to but yes. but there is a certain stigma to a cancer that you have to discuss, you know, your stool and you have to discuss all of those things that obviously are not a thing that in our culture we talk about. We don't talk about any of that stuff. 100% agree. Yeah, I mean there's something about talking about your rectum and your yeah. intestines, your colon, your butt and your poop that is uh, you know, I mean it's it can be embarrassing and and there's such a stigma around it. Joe, let's talk about The Howling Place and the group. I reached out to you uh, right toward the end of the year, 2019, end of the year, New Year's coming up. And I was like, hey, this is this idea I have for this group, Man Up to Cancer. I want to do this howling place where men can go and, and howl about their cancer, but also focus on their lives outside of cancer. And and you were like, immediately, you're like, I'm on board, I'm in, let's do this, right? Yeah, because yeah. I had tried a couple of times with a couple of other things that were just weren't working out and kind of fell through. I knew I had about 200 men that I wanted to do something with, but I didn't know what it was going to be. Right. Um, and then when you contacted me, I was like, yeah. I mean, I, I had kind of knew what you wanted to do because I had thought about it, but I didn't know how to put the pieces together. Well, and I had no idea you had a such a vast network at that point. It became very clear to me pretty soon after we started the group how big your network was, but I didn't know. I mean, I knew you a little bit through, we would comment to one another on Col in Colentown, but I didn't know that you were already thinking about doing something like this. So then, right. So the framework was there and then, and then you just ran with it. Tell, tell our listeners about, you know, what you did to sort of take this framework and then just start bringing people in. Well, I think, you know, when you pushed the button on January 1st, I just went ahead and just totally invited those 200 men into the group. I was like, <laughs> and I don't think you were expecting that. <laughs> you were, I think you were like, what in the world? Wow. Okay. Cause I, I, I remember us having that discussion that you said, Oh, I would be happy if 25 men joined the group. Right. To me, the reason why I was like, Hey, you know, it doesn't matter to me, like how many people, because I was already starting to write the book and, and I was thinking about the website and I was like, well, we should do a group too. So to me, it was like, I did not know what the response would be to doing a Facebook group to begin with. I thought like, okay, maybe we'll get a couple friends, some people from this and that and come in. But to me, it was not like, Oh, this is going to be this thing that takes off and it's going to impact a lot of people. But you saw that potential because <laughs> you'd been in that Facebook space, uh, you know, the social media for old people like us. Well, and I knew, you know, I had gotten a, a, just some, a great group of men together that I knew if, if I could just get these guys together, there's no telling what we could do. There was, you know, guys like Michael Mancini and Jason Greenspan and Tracy Morgan and, and all these guys that I knew that if I could get these men together, no matter what form of cancer they had, mm. we could do some pretty incredible things. 
I, I do think and that I think that's the response we've gotten. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I've noticed that you guys are lending yourself to that is a real place that doesn't exist is one, obviously, for men to be able to feel comfortable to share things that are specific to the struggle that, you know, men deal with with the cancer and also the treatment of cancer and also being caregivers for maybe potential spouses who have cancer, but also that you guys are a place with an open door policy for men who have any specific struggle with cancer because you were finding these communities that were specific to the cancer that you were struggling with. Yes. And you guys have created a place where you can share a real broad, you know. Exactly. And that's what Joe is. One of the things that he does is find those bonds. So he is able to see all the things that, that bond us, the things we have in common, even though someone has brain cancer, someone has melanoma, someone has breast cancer, you know, male breast cancer is a real thing. And we have plenty of guys in our group with that and testicular, colorectal, whatever it is, Joe's able to sort of say, Hey, we're all going through similar things because our group is all about general support. And it's all about the, the emotional impacts really like we don't dig into the science of treating specific diseases. And I think COVID has really changed our perspective a little bit right. because um, you know, we started the Zoom meetings and right. I, I don't, you know, that wasn't like in the plan, I think, in the beginning. And then to have these Zoom meetings and these guys, I remember the other day we were talking about all the different forms of cancer. I think we had bladder cancer represented, prostate cancer was represented, testosterone cancer was represented, brain cancer was represented. And the guys were talking about just how really we had these different forms of cancer and they all had their different PSAs and CEAs and all these different cancer markers, but going through chemo was the same. The depression was the same. Mm. Um, the feeling of loneliness was the same. The, the struggles in our marriages were the same. The isolation was the same. So they were all sharing about this and what they were all going through. And I think the other guys didn't realize really the toll that was going through each other and, and how we were kind of dealing with it in our own, in our own way. I think the membership, the people in, we call it the wolf pack, the people in the wolf pack follow Joe's lead in terms of what the vibe is and what, what we're trying to accomplish. And, and really at the end of the day, it's just all about togetherness and knowing that you're not alone and knowing that you're facing these bonds and you don't have to do it by yourself. And Joe, Joe is just always there to pick someone up to, to comment to, you know, he does birthday shout outs to every day to people in the group. So, you know, we're closing in on 600 guys in the group since January 1st. And they're from all across the country. They're from all across the world. And that's just through you guys having connections and network of people who want to say to somebody else, hey, I'm in this place, you should come join this place. This is not from you guys doing some kind of large marketing push. (laughs) There is a specific thirst for this type of connection and a safe place to share. I think that men ultimately keep themselves from being vulnerable, but need to be vulnerable. And you've given them that place to do that and not feel judged. And that is huge. Right. Yeah. And so that's part of it. And then the other part is, is just guys being guys, because right. you've got dirty jokes. for Well, sure. right. Exactly. We have the, we have, you know, we, we, we can go there some little blue humor, but um, so there is definitely the sharing, like guys that will go on there and they will share possibly for the first time ever about what they're feeling. 
But then on the other side of that, there's like, hey, look at this motorcycle I got the other day. Like, <laughs> this is awesome, right? Like, yeah. And and Joe is leading the charge to really talk about, yes, this group is a cancer group. We will talk about our cancers. We'll talk about what we're going through. But it's also just a life group. So we talk about our hobbies and passions. Go ahead, Joe. Well, we do that, you know, that ABC day, anything but cancer right. once a month. And, right. Uh, I think the first time we did it, the guys really didn't get it. I think a lot of them were like, well, why can't I talk about my cancer? <laughs> and and we so get them saying, well, does that mean I can't talk about my cancer? What if I need to talk about it? And, and I think we had to convince them that we weren't opposed to that. We just wanted a day where you could talk about your motorcycles. You could talk about your hobbies. Your dogs. About your dogs. Your favorite food. Your, your yeah. kids' baseball team. Giving space. Yes. So yeah. then when we did the last, I think when we did the one on May 1st, I think it was the best reaction we got. I mean, I think we had like 50-something responses, comments on the one about the couples where the guys just showed their, their spouses or their partners. And they talked about how long they've been married or together. Um, Rob Miller talking about his motorcycles and going off on that motorcycle trip in Italy was tremendous. Yeah. Motorcycles is a very, I gotta say that is like one of the most popular topics on there. I don't, I've never been on a motorcycle except for when my dad had one when I was a kid, but it's funny because one of the groups I'm in is bikers against cancer and there are all these motorcycle guys. And I just started posting in the group and reaching out to the group. And I post whenever Trevor posts something, I automatically post it in that group and they're, they're loving every, all of it. You also are giving yourself a place to be open for men who are in the LGBTQ community to also share their stories because that is a very underserved community in a lot of ways. And so you're giving a place for, exactly. um, you know, men or people who are usually not feeling safe to share their story in other parts of their life. And they have this new place where they cannot share their, not only share mm. their story, but feel supported by other men. That is a huge underserved area in, you know, in that community. hundred percent. And so, yeah, we are all about, being inclusive and, and diversity just makes us so much stronger and richer in there. And, and in fact, I'm trying to do some outreach in terms of diversity with people of color and communities of color, because that's another underserved. Right. When we talk about people who are not engaging online and getting support online, those communities are, uh, you know, statistically not as supported as they could right. be or need to be. And so we right. want to change that as well. And there's another difference maker in our group that Joe and I have really emphasize from the start, which is this is not just going to be a group where people go talk. Like we are actually going to take action too. If there's um, a family in need, or if there's a, one of our members in need, or we know of someone out there in the community that we can help, even if it's just putting together a card drive or, or sharing some information about what someone needs. And there are so many people in our, our group who are already doing service projects on their own. Every month, Joe is putting together a list. We call it Joe's Wolfpack Trailblazers. And this is a list of guys in our group who are out there doing amazing community service work. One of the principles of Man Up to Cancer is accept help. Like when you need help, accept it. And when you're able to give it back, then pay it forward. And there's so many guys paying it forward. And so, Joe, do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about your thoughts on, yeah, how the group can be a vehicle for doing good? Well, I think the perfect example of that would be Jaden Oaks. So just a little bit of background. Jaden is 12 years old. He's from California, diagnosed with colon cancer as a 12-year-old. And he comes out to North Carolina, where Joe is, and he goes out there to get this life-saving surgery, which ended up being a 17-hour surgery at the University of North Carolina. And Joe connected with Jaden's grandmother, 
And yeah, so go ahead, Joe, and tell about how that played out. Early on, I think that was back in January, his grandmother, Jane Vincent, reached out to me because they were coming here. To, I live in Durham, North Carolina. There's a hospital here, UNC Children's Hospital. So Jane was coming here to have surgery because he was diagnosed with what would basically be called stage four colon cancer. I just told her simply, I said, look, you know, just consider me your, your gopher for your trip in North Carolina. You know, I'll pick you up at the airport, take you to the hospital, you know, whatever you need. And, and I also offered to do a, just a card drive, you know, because I knew kids love to get cards. They love to get things in the mail. And I said, that would be really cool to do while he's here. And she was very open to that. So basically just started sharing and a number of the groups I'm in, including Manifest Cancer, we were the lead in it and just in the card drive. And I think ultimately, I think we got a, close to a thousand cards, literally, um, these cards were posted all over his room. His grandmother just taped them all over his room. And the nurses and the staff of the hospital were blown away. They'd never seen anything like that before. Yeah. I mean, Jaden and Jane are just champions. I mean, th- those people are, they're amazing. They're inspiring. And and it's all about relationships. Like, you know, Joe just forms these relationships with these people and it is real. It's authentic. And he just figures out how to, how to use his network. Again, man up to cancer was just a piece of this. Like basically, you know, J- Joe is connecting with all these groups and all these people in cancer land to rally around this, this boy and his family. And well, it was amazing how many foundations were out there that I didn't even know of that wanted to do good. Even some of the guys in our group, like one of the guys, Austin Tribble gave Jaden was losing his hair because of his, of, of his surgery. He started losing some of his hair from the hot chemo he had. And he uh, brought up a hundred dollars worth of hats just for Jaden to wear because he, you know, he knew what that was like. And uh, the other guys were offered to do different things for him. And yeah. uh, there was a foundation, you know, that even paid for his first class flight back home in the end because um, he needed that. But that was a foundation that was very, not very well heard of, um, but it was doing well in the community. Yeah. And, and, and at this point, like as a group, like we're, we don't have, we're not an organization like some of these other people. We're not a foundation. Like we're just pitching in when and where we can. So, and we wish we had capacity to help so many more people and maybe, you know, hopefully down the road, we can build that out right now. It's basically us just, you know, having our ears up, having our ears up to where there's a need and then, and then trying to, trying to help out. But you also are a community that's able to know the places that could potentially fund situations. You're basically the equivalent of a grassroots movement. You know, you're putting people on the ground internationally who know of other people who might need support. And then through that network, you're able to find the outlets that you need at that time, which is is great. That's a really good point. I didn't, and I hadn't really thought about that too much, but I, I think that is, that's the power. I mean, when you created this, Trevor, you talked about it being a wolf pack. And that's one thing I, I thought about because as men, even as boys, we enjoyed our team spirit. We oh, to- yeah, totally. Baseball games, that whole camaraderie. And right. I think that's where you were going with. Yeah, I, I will say that. It's like it's it's like we're the team. So, you know, ma- the movie Major League where the, the Cleveland Indians basically have an owner that wants them to lose. It's kind of like we were all drafted onto the cancer team and it's not the team you want to be on. Right. But when you get drafted on the team, you're like, well, you know, I'm on the team. So I bet where's my stuff? I'm on, I got to get my hat. I got to get my sweatshirt. And like, because you are on a team and you do have a team behind you. So yeah, that's absolutely where I was going with the whole thing is like, guys need to feel like even though they've gotten this shitty thing dealt to them, that it's, you're not booted out off of a team. Like you still have one. 
We are getting close on time. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about today yet that you really feel is critical to? No, uh, like I said, I think we're doing great. I think the group is heading in the right direction. Um, far, yeah, far beyond what you and I even even thought. Yeah, you you are amazing. I'm so thankful for you. So huge gratitude and 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 again, if this man up to cancer thing flamed out next week, getting to know you and having that relationship and doing what we've done in the past five months has totally been worth it. So thank you. I'm going to put you on the man up to cancer hot seat. There's too many hot seats. We got to come up with a better name for that at some point. Maybe Kellen can help me. Yeah, I also feel like with a colon cancer community, hot seat's not an awesome option. You know what? That's maybe a good, we should. <laughs> maybe we good, should good point. That <laughs> Agreed. All right. I think I got six questions if we get through them all. But okay, here we go. So the hot, the hot seat, which we will rename as Kellen mentioned, <laughs> is basically a chance for us to cancer gets heavy. Cancer can be really heavy. So on a lot of these shows, I just want to have fun at the end and ask a bunch of random questions that are just for fun. So here's number one. If you were footwear, what kind of shoes would you be? Oh, I guess old school, you know, Air Jordan. Air oh, Jordan. Oh man, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> it's like an aspirational shoe. Perfect. You're starting off well. Okay. UFOs and aliens are among us. Yes, or no? Being a Carolina boy, North Carolina boy, I think there might be some some spiritual beings out there. Hey, there is no middle ground on the hot seat, Joe. Yes or no? Yes, I think there is a possibility. Nice. Yeah. He's going yes. <laughs> He's going yes. I'm going to list off these people. You might find them familiar. Colonel Mustard, Miss Scarlet, Mr. Green, Mrs. Peacock, Mrs. White, or Professor Plum. Which clue suspect actually committed the crime? Mrs. Peacock. Peacock. That's what my wife said this morning. Two people think Mrs. Peacock did it. She's too flashy. She's too flashy. What actor would play you in a movie about your life? I have my own answer for this, but I'm interested to see what you're going to say. Um, man, Go aspirational too. I... Here, do the Michael Jordan of actors. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and if you need to pass, you can just say pass. I, I want to pass on. I can't. Okay, good. Because I have an answer for you. It's Richard Gere. Dude, your hair is... Yeah. <laughs> Your hair is like, it's so Richard Gere. You're the silver fox. Like, there's no doubt. It's that genteel manner, man. to the Colonel Sanders every day. (laughs) (laughs) Two more questions. Would you rather be forced to dance every time you heard music or be forced to sing along to any song you heard? Um, Forced to to dance to music. Dance? So you'd rather dance than sing? Yeah. Yeah. Last one. And this is a... We're going to get serious here. How hard is it, Joe, to be a trophy husband? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I'm definitely that. I mean, being, being a stay-at-home dad, yeah, I, I'm well taken care of. Uh, yes, take good care of me. You are quite a catch. Joe Bullock, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it, brother. We'll talk soon. Love you, man. Love you. It was great hearing your story, Joe. Thank you, All right. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list, and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open.